Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. Man, I'm telling you, I love the Word of God, but the Word of God has been turned into this legalistic thing that the church beats people up with, hasn't it? But yet it's the source of life, and not just the written words on the page, but obviously the living Word, God Himself having become flesh and dwelt among us and lived it out in front of us. <clears throat> you know, that that's... That's who Jesus is. When we talk about the Word of God, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and a little further down, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and in that particular chapter, the word word in the original language there in the Greek is the word logos. <clears throat> and it's not just written word. You know, some people translate logos as the written word and rhema as the spoken word, and it's just so much more than that. The logos of God, it's where we get the word logic. And the logos of God is not just what's written and spoken and, and what he's declared and decreed, but anyone's logos, anything that you speak, anything that you write that's personal with expectation is backed up by the character of the person writing or speaking or declaring whatever it is. So the, the logos of God is not just Scripture. It's not like there was a Bible floating around in heaven, right? The Word of God became flesh, and all of a sudden it came into... Now, the, the Word of God is bigger than a book. The book 100% verifies of who God is. But it's like the logic of God. If, if you could take kind of like the way that God thinks and the way that he sees things, and the way that God understands. Like if you were sitting with God, and he were to explain to you, okay, this is what I'm looking at, and this is how I see it. This is how I understand it. This is why I understand it this way. In this particular situation, this would be the way that I would go. This is what I would do. Let me just show you. This is how I think. That's his logos. It's the logic behind the word, and the way of God the understanding of God, the logic of God, the character and the integrity, all of that came into this earth in the form of a human, Jesus. Jesus is the logic, the ways of God in human form. Completely limited like we are, yet without sin. Is that me ringing? Uh but are you, do you see that? It's, it's as if God, the way that he thinks and the way that he would do life himself just kind of came out of him. And as it comes into this earth, it takes the shape of a human and you're looking at Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of the invisible God. Jesus is God in the flesh. But something amazing happened when he came into flesh. He limited himself to the same type of life that you're experiencing, full of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying he had to be born again, none of that. 
He was different. He was a different kind of being from the beginning, but he was a man, limited in all ways like we are, yet without sin, which then him, then him perfectly living the law out, not breaking any, qualified. That didn't, even with Jesus, his perfect performance isn't what made him righteous and holy. His perfect performance qualified him to be the spotless lamb, the sacrifice for your sin. And because he lived perfect and holy, he was that perfect lamb that God could then take all of your sin and put it into him. And Jesus became your sin and completely set you free from its power. You have been delivered from the law of sin and death. Amen? Man, praise God. So what God wants for you is so much greater than just doing what he wants. It's this quality of life. It's this way of life. It's this enjoyment of his kingdom. It's the enjoyment of being a child, enjoyment of what it looks like to be a citizen in him. And, and, and you know, you look at the history of church, and all, most of it is centered around what happened with the book and what people do with the book and how the book is interpreted and translated and used in some places, it's like it's just the book. No Holy Spirit stuff. And so the pursuit is I need to understand the book. And the more I understand the book, the better Christian I am. Or, or you know, that's not how they'd say it, but that's like the mindset. And it's like, go to read the book, read the book, read the book. And, and, and then it becomes study the book, academic, memorize the books of the Bible. I wouldn't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you can quote all the books of the Bible in order. I'm not sure I could do it in this moment, but I'm just saying, you know, we make it about that kind of stuff. You got to be bragging down here. No, I thought you said that. It's like, I can do it. I, I missed the don't raise your hand part, sorry. You're not supposed to lie in church. You do that. <laughs> but, but here's the deal. We know that we are limiting what God wants for us. We know that we are not experiencing to the fullest extent what Jesus died for us to experience. We know that there's so much better for us to experience and so much for us to represent God in this earth. You know, we pray for people. We were praying for Cody this morning and it didn't fully, you know, like we prayed for you and boom, instant healing. I think it should be that way every time. But we pray for Cody over here and, you know, kind of, not much, a little bit, maybe it gets worse, maybe, you know, if Jesus were standing here and he prayed for you and whatever it was that you were asking for, do we have any doubt at all that it would work 100% fully? Because that's just who he is. So what are we doing? What are we, what are we doing? We're living this life from the place of completeness in him wanting to experience transformation, wanting to continue down this path of being conformed to the image of Christ, which is what most of what we talk about here in this place is going to be geared around. I want to rightly divide the word. I want to see the gifts flowing. But where it usually comes to, the way it usually comes out of me is I want you to experience the power of grace in your heart out of knowing who you are in him because of what he's done for you and then I just see it as everything else flows out of that. Everything else flows out of when you are confident in who you are in him and what he's done for you, it informs and affects 
every aspect of your life. Amen? So, what are you doing with the Word if it's the only thing that actually works? And so I don't want to preach these messages from the perspective of the same old typical religious stuff. We've got to read the Bible. I have to wake up. Well, I tell you what, I get up at 5.30 and I read the Bible. Well, do you? Well, I'm asleep at 5.30. It's a little warm in here. I don't know if the... Sometimes when the power flickers, the power adjusts our uh, timing and setting. You know, you feel the Holy Spirit better when it's the right temperature in the room. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's true for a lot of Christians. It's hot in here. What did he say? I don't know. It was hot in there. <laughs> you laugh, but you know it's true. So, so I have this practical message, and I, and I hope it's, it gives you something useful and practical for your life <clears throat> to experience the fruit and walk in the gifts to bring glory to him. And, and, and Stacy really kind of paved the way for the, for the idea of where I want to end up. But we've been hovering around this idea of Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. We break, I've broken this down a couple of weeks now. So hope is the confident expectation of good things. Deferred means delayed or drawn out. And then sick is wounded, um, discouraged, made weak, not like diseased, but having taken a trauma, having been hurt, having been bruised. You know, like a bruise is when you take a wound and everything around it is sensitive and sore. And then I was talking to a few weeks ago, I was sick and man, I just didn't feel like doing anything. Like, I don't feel like getting up and eating what I should and drinking enough water and taking vitamins and all that kind of stuff. I just want to lay here and roll around and wallow in my misery. Anybody do that when you're sick? I don't always do that. But there's kind of this lull if you get sick and you're just like, ah, oh, I know I should do that. I know I should pray, but I don't feel like praying. You ever been there? Your heart gets sick. And your heart is where you believe from. Your heart is where you trust God from. Your heart is where God's love is poured out from his throne to bring wholeness into your life. If you're broken, if you've been victimized, legitimately victimized or hurt or some type of injustice you've experienced, and, 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 and listen for yourself but also for other people in your life because some of y'all are dealing with broken people and you're frustrated with them and you don't know what to do. You don't know how to help them. In fact, it's easy just to stay away from them. It's easier just to stay away from them. But if you understand these types of things, you can actually help them. You actually can be a source of confidence to help nurture their heart back to health, to get to, to the hope springs back alive, and they can have some confident expectation again. You know, Listen for yourself, but also listen for the people in your life. The reason it's, the heart is so important is because that's the part of you that's new. That's the part of you that's directly connected to God. That's the part of you that has eyes, your spiritual eyes, that are to look to God, which is important because of framing up and seeing ahead of time everything that God wants to do in your life. Everything that you want to experience from God happens between you and Him in your heart. Where you are in your heart toward Him 
that inner man, that part where you believe from, that part where you think deeper than just the intellect, that part that hears a physical diagnosis, but then deeper level says, yeah, but there's something, a spiritual option here that's greater than this physical thing that I'm experiencing. And we want to influence that area. We want to keep that area soft. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. You know, I'm thinking about Chelsea. She shared the testimony about the job. How much relief comes when you experience something like that? Now, you know, we can be codependent on circumstances in life, and oftentimes we trust God marginally based on the circumstances of our lives. Well, God, this isn't changing And some people have the theology that if it doesn't change, he must want it there. I particularly do not have that theology. I do not believe God is controlling everything that happens on this planet. If he were, we have some conversations to have. I like to say if God's in control, he's doing a bad job. I mean, really. Is he... Sovereign, of course he is. Is he all-powerful? Of course he is. There's none greater. He's the one true God. But not everything we see on this planet is what he wants. It's not his will. So hope deferred makes the heart sick. And then we're talking about this idea, circling around the heart, Hebrews 13, 9. Don't be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it's a good thing that your heart be established with grace. It's a good thing that your heart, that inner man, that place where you believe, that place that receives God's love, that place that receives wisdom, that place that has eyes that look toward him, be established with grace. Grace is God's divine influence on your heart. Grace is undeserved favor that brings capacity. The working of the gifts of the Spirit is an expression of grace. It's a good thing that your heart, that area that you believe, is established with the idea that God is in you working through you. Now, that's not some big heavy revelation, but we forget about that. We forget about that when it comes time to make life's decisions. We jump in. We call our parents. We jump on Google. Let me see what Google says. Well, did you first check what the Holy Spirit says inwardly? And if you're not confident to just go inward and hear the Spirit of God, what does the Word say? Which is kind of what we're getting at today, using the Word to cultivate the environment of peace so that grace will work in your life. Uh, Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then it brings us to this place. You know, may this be a reality in your life. Romans 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified, say, I'm justified. I'm holy. I'm righteous. I'm pure. I'm clean. And if you struggle with that, then you're self-righteous. <laughs> Don't you love me? If you struggle with saying that, you are either thinking of your carnal identity or you don't understand your spiritual identity. If you struggle saying, I am righteous and holy before the Father, I don't need to do anything to improve upon his finished work, you just don't, you just don't understand the new covenant. If you struggle with knowing that you're righteous, you don't understand the full effect of the blood of Christ in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that you just kick back, throw your feet up, keep token on whatever you're token on, and don't 
allow the spirit to bring transformation, right? Doesn't mean you stay angry. Doesn't mean you still cheat with your finances. Doesn't mean you're still unkind to your spouse. I'm righteous. Okay, okay, okay. It, that's an immature approach. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of people hear the faith righteous message, critics of it, let's say. Well, you're just, you're just giving people a license to sin. How old are you? I mean, do you really? You really let me keep going. <laughs> Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, through just trusting God, we have peace with, say, I have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I've got this message that's in my heart that I've thrown a few notes down on what on glory. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. Actually, next week, Courtney's preaching. We'll have him down here. We, I know we miss Courtney and Heidi. They've launched out and planted a, a church up on the north side. They've got a home church right now. And our friends, uh, Jimmy and Rachel Gillespie, I think a lot of you guys know them. Uh, they'll be doing worship. So it's going to be awesome. When they lead worship, it always goes long. And when Courtney preaches, he always goes long. So be ready for next week. <laughs> but it's going to be amazing. Who am I kidding? I always go long, too. I'll go back and I'm like, I'm going to go look at the message and share the links. And I'm like, an hour and 12 minutes? I talked that long? Anyway. So, but it's just this idea of knowing that you have peace with God. I'm at peace with God. Trusting him and accessing grace. Grace is what you need. I'm talking about it from this perspective because you have things in your life that you're trusting God for. You have areas in your life that you're wanting to see deliverance and healing and freedom from. Some of you have sin habits that you're sick of, you're embarrassed by, but you hang on to them. Some of you have anxiety and depression and struggles it's just really hard to trust God. And I, I know I call out anxiety and depression. It's just, it's, I just talk to so many people that are struggling with that right now. And I'm not trying to say you're less than what you should be if you have panic attacks or if you're dealing with anxiety. It's just, it's just this mental health issue that we're seeing in the world right now. It's just such a prevalent thing. But you can be free from it. You can be free from that temptation of that repetitive sin. You can be free from worrying about your financial future. You can be free from all that stuff that keeps us anchored into what this world has to offer and how it tries to rob from us. And it's by grace. It's living in the power of his grace. So I got a couple of phrases here, and then I want to get into some, just kind of some practical stuff, just some exercises, because I, I want you to walk out of here today. I want to give you a little bit of information, but I want to give you something where you, you have a tool where you have a process that you can connect to the Spirit of God inwardly and be empowered when you need to be empowered, not after the fact. It's like, well, I wish I'd have known that, but in the moment. In the moment, you can turn to God, draw on His grace, draw on the fruits, and experience life, peace, joy to be a blessing to people. All right, so peace... This is kind of a conclusion. Peace guards the heart, and the heart is where grace is supplied. 
We want to make it a lifestyle to practice peace. You have decisions to make. You have difficulties to deal with. Always, always go to that place of peace first. And the source of your peace is back up here, Romans 5.1. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. That's what will bring about the peace. You know, I was, I was talking to somebody this week, and we were talking about rest. And they already knew this, but, you know, I, I was just kind of verbalizing it. To live from rest, not striving, not trying to, you know, become a better Christian or try to please, you know, where you're, you're worried about if you're going to please God or not. Living from this place of rest, it doesn't mean that you're inactive. Living from a place of rest doesn't mean that you don't do good works. Living from a place of rest doesn't mean that you, you exercise your faith to grow in Him, right? Living from a place of rest simply means you quit trying to earn the things that Jesus paid for. You quit trying to get God to give you what He's already given you in Christ. You quit living from this place of keeping God at an arm's distance Worried about if you're doing enough. Bob and I were talking about it this morning, you know. I, I, think, I think most Christians are living from the perspective, sincere in heart, really wanting to live a life that's pleasing to God, wanting to live a life that brings glory to God, but doing it from a place of striving, doing it from a place of I'm not good enough, I don't think I'll ever be good enough, I'm not doing enough, I don't even know what to do. I think it might just be easier. I just don't think I really want to look at the Word. I don't really want to go to church because they all seem fake over there to me. None of them have it working. Why would I go over there? Bunch of hypocrites. I, I, it's, it's easier for me to just live my life because really I think I can just do it better myself because I don't get it. It's not working for me. You ever been there? That, I'm, I'm convinced that's where most Christians are. Most Christians are at this place where it's like, I'm not, I'm just not, I'm just, I'm just not going to live up to, I can't live up to it. You are at the brink of finally being free and finally admitting, well, of course you can't. It was never about that from the beginning. It was always about living as an accepted child in his kingdom. It was always about acknowledging the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of your Father. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God desires to be kind to you more than He desires to judge you. That's what mercy means. Goodness, kindness, faithfulness. God desires to be faithful to you, to be kind to you, to be good to you, more than His need to judge you. That's a whole other message. I'll do that in another couple of weeks because I feel that, that, that. Grace comes alive. When grace comes alive, you must act. Now, I, the picture that I see is, you know, I think about, um, you're all, most of you are probably familiar with the story of the Israelites enslaved in Egypt and Moses, you know, tries to deliver them on his own, <clears throat> messes it up. 40 years later, when he's 80 years old, Moses was 80 years old when God knocked on his door again and he went back. So all the 
miracles happen there. They get delivered, and they're about to go. They've been in the wilderness for, you know, another 40 years. They're about to cross the Jordan, and Moses can't go. All the doubting, you know, doubting people can't make it across. So it's Joshua is picked, and Joshua's going to lead the nation of Israel across the Jordan. God, again, dries up the Jordan so that they cross over. And it's interesting because what God says to them is, I will deliver this land into your hand. All of this land is yours promised through Abraham. But it, it, this is what's so interesting to me is God says, but I'm not going to drive them. Now, don't try to bring this into the idea of God using the devil in your life or don't read into it what it's not saying. But the picture of it is God says, I'm going to drive them out a little bit at a time. And he specifically says, he says, if I drive them all out now, the fruit will rot, the land will become unproductive. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave the enemies in the land over here. It's kind of like a wheat and tares kind of thing is what I see. And he says, all right, I'm going to drive them out. And as I drive them out, you step into the land that I clear for you. And then as you take ownership of it, I'm going to drive them a little bit further. And then you step into that land and you take ownership of that land. And then I'm going to drive them out a little bit further. And each time you continue to increase, you continue to stretch your tents, you continue to step into that place, you continue to step into that, that margin that God creates for you. See, what we want is God, you clear the land and then it'll be mine. But that's not really how grace works. Grace is, it's a process. Grace is, and, I'm, and, 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 and man, we have so many goofy theologies. Well, God's not going to give you the whole picture ahead of time. Well, he could. I mean, there's no law that says he's not going to. But it's just like uh, you have to step into the margin that is clear. So what I mean by this, when grace comes alive, you must act. You're praying. You're believing. You're wanting to experience transformation. You're wanting to experience blessing. What step can you take? toward that? What step can you take to own the identity of what it is that you're praying for? What opportunities do you have? What's in your hand? What, what can you do right now today to step a little bit, maybe a little bit of an act of faith, maybe stretching yourself a little bit? I'm going to step just a little bit into this situation here, and I'm going to own. I'm going to own this margin of freedom that God has given me, and I'm going to step into it, and I'm going to trust His grace in this moment. Is this making sense to you? Yeah. We want it all cleared. We want it all laid out and planned out, but we're missing the steps that we can take that are right in front of us. Now, God will show you what those steps are. Uh, but are you listening? And I will, I will submit to you, the way that you recognize the step is to cultivate the Word of God in your heart. Because what you need to take the step is the wisdom of God the logic of God, the Word of God, the understanding of God. So when you come to a situation and you're like, I don't know if this is one of those areas that I need to step into and own it, the, the ways of God birthed from your heart will inform you and give you the confidence to step into it. In other words, the Scripture in your heart that has been assimilated into your mind and into your being will teach you how to take the step and when to take the step. It might be a daily reading of the book of Proverbs. How many of you do that? I know Will. How long have you been doing that? How many years have you been doing that? Yeah. Almost 50 years. 
you have read a proverb a day and psalms. Now, doesn't that make you feel like a teeny-weeny little Christian? <laughs> I hope not. I hope it doesn't, because it shouldn't. But, I mean, wow. Wow. You could probably quote it at this point in multiple uh, translations. Man. I, so, so I hear that, and I'm like, the degree that his mind and heart must be conditioned with the logic, the word, the ways of God, the wisdom that's expressed in those books, that when he comes to a decision, this is what I see. I see you stepping into an area where you need to make a decision. Probably so many different little nuggets of wisdom pop up that help filter all the things yeah, but what about, well, the word says, that. yeah, but what about, well, kindness turns away. What about, well, this little folding of the hand, sleep slumber. You know what I mean? It's like, boom, boom, boom it just pop, it pops up. So those little nuggets of wisdom that the word has been planted, those seeds, they pop up and they push out. Because most of us have woe is me-ism attitudes. I, I mean, can I, can I just be honest? Most of us are sitting there, why me? Why is it not working for me? Well, you know what? I just feel left out. I just feel this. I just feel like it just doesn't work for me. I just feel, I just don't know. I feel like God's abandoned me. I just don't, I don't know why, I don't know why they do that. I don't know. It's like, are you even giving the word an opportunity in that moment to change you, to challenge your thought in that situation? To, 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 to rise up in your mind and in your heart to give you some strength and wisdom in that moment to push back the carnal logic that you're entertaining? I don't, I, do, I don't know what else to give you. I don't know what else will work. To me, it's the only thing that will work for you. When your mind is going, and you, have, you, you legitimately have to do life. Have you seeded your heart with the word to the degree that it comes up and starts to push back and, and counter? Well, yeah, but the word says this. Well, yeah, but the word says this. Well, I'm just feeling this. Well, yeah, but the word says this. And, and, it, and it's alive. Until you sit back and you're like, oh, well, I've really got a choice here. I really could trust God here. But a lot of us, just, we just stay in that pattern. We just run the pattern. So this is the part where it's like, I don't want to just throw some legalistic perspective out there about the Bible. You know what I mean? Like, read it, digest it, have some type of plan. Because I know how legalistic and boring and stale that can become. But how does it work for you to get the word in? Are you regularly feeding on it? I mean, there is a time of fasting. But what if you went without eating healthy food? Ever. I mean, you know, you're starving. The word of God is life. The Spirit of God in you is power. It's a transformative agent within you to be assimilated into you 
to change you, to affect every aspect of your being. It will teach you. And, it, and it's not just, let me just sit, let me, let me keep going. This idea of, you know, so the reason I'm, I'm touching on these, because last week we went through Mark 4, this idea of putting in the sickle and reaping the harvest. Grace is the harvest of faith. Faith is, I'm going to trust God. And when you trust God, you make the decision, I trust you more than anything. Grace will come alive. Strength, wisdom, power, the, the, the desire will come alive. But will you then step into it? You do it. You do it. You're sitting, you're, you wake up first thing in the morning. You're sitting on the sofa watching TV. You're having a conversation with somebody. And then all of a sudden, inspiration, revelation. Oh, that, well, that's a good idea. And then you forget about it 30 minutes later. <laughs> you have all had more revelation served up to you in your lifetime that would bring you to a place of such blessing, but we don't step into it. We let it float by. We miss it. And, and, then, and, and then we get to the point where some might say, well, I just don't know why God's silent. I don't know why he's not talking to me. Well, it's because you've made it a habit of ignoring him. It's because you've made it a habit of not putting in the sickle and reaping that harvest as it springs up. When you, when you face an opportunity to do the right thing, but you don't, you're hardening your heart. When you fa face an opportunity where you kind of feel like the Lord is nudging you, but you don't, you're hardening your heart. And it's not God withholding from you. It's you calcifying the area of your heart that receives grace from him, the very thing that you need. But the word will soften it. And when I say word, I don't just mean read the Bible. I mean when you go into Colossians and you read something about Jesus and you read something about who you are in him, do you take the time to sit and let it affect you emotionally? See a picture of it in your heart. So I want to go into this idea here. A couple of more. You know, it's funny. She actually used the word fruit and assimilation together. It's like you were reading my notes here. Fruit and gifts are the expression of assimilated grace. Y'all remember when she said that? Well, I tell you what, I want to go to a church where the gifts are really moving. I want to go to a church where like, I feel God. It's like she said exactly what's in the slide. What you're telling me is you want some goosebumps. You want to feel special. I know, I, I almost got mean there, but I'm just... <laughs> How do you assimilate grace? James 1.22, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, so it calls the word the perfect law of liberty, essentially, and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, uh, this one will be blessed in what he does. And it's not that you earn the blessing. 
It's just that when you live this way, blessing, you experience blessing. So why will you be blessed? Because you're applying God's ways, wisdom, and authority when you do the word. When your heart and mind are seated with God's ways, i.e. 50 years of daily Proverbs, or maybe two or three days a week you have it set where you're going to go pick a book and you're going to read this particular book that week, but you're also going to sit in it and meditate on it and think about it and write notes down about it and let it change, let it, let it inspire you. You know, you want to give the written word an opportunity to become the living word. To become a doer of the word, you want to get God's mind on the matter. I mean, you have the, you have the mind of Christ, use it. So this idea of, I know this feels like kind of like class today. I'm in teach heavy teaching mode, but I hope it's helpful. Are you getting something out of it? To become a doer of the word, the word doer is this idea of a, a poetic performer. And it's this idea that, so uh, the definition of poetic is having an imagination. No, that's not it. Poetic is imaginative and emotional expression of whatever it is that you're reading. For some reason that didn't get in there. but So having an imaginative or sensitively emotional style. No, this is the definition. What am I doing? All right, so <laughs> poetic. Having an imaginative or sensitively emotional style of expression. Are you with me? To be a doer of the word is this idea of being a poetic performer, and it's this imaginative and emotional expression. So the picture is this. When you're engaging the word, you're using your inner senses. You're using your spiritual senses. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. This is Hebrews 11, first part of the chapter. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Prove to me that it's there, but I can't see it. Well, faith. Faith is not what you do to get God to respond to you. Faith is not this, for some reason when I think about faith, I always think about this illustration, like we've been taught, as if faith is like this tool, this crowbar, like this thing, this commodity that you have and you're going to storm the gates of heaven, and you're going to approach the throne of God, and you're going to wrench things out of God's hands with this crowbar, right? Like, faith is me. I'm going to move God. My strong faith moved God. God's responding to me in my faith. It's like, no. Faith is your acceptance and your response to what God has already done in Christ. Faith looks at your life, looks at Jesus and says, You've already done something about this. I'm going to trust in what you have already accomplished through Christ. Amen. And I'm going to rest in that. Yes. And as I rest in that, it gives me a confidence to step into, okay, now, all right, yeah, there's this grace that comes alive. There's this, oh, so the word says this here. I'm not really sure, but I know that this is the logic of God in this particular situation. So I'm going to move this way and I'm going to make the decision based on this informing me, and then what happens? Blessing. 
That's why it's important to stay out of sin, because sin hardens this process. Sin hardens your heart, which is the ground of the fruit of the knowledge and the wisdom and the Word of God popping up into your life. You've got a lot of people that know the Scripture up here, but because they use it as an opportunity to stay in sin and keep their heart hard, it doesn't work for them. The meanest Christian, I'm telling you, the meanest Christian on the planet is somebody that knows the Word but is not working for them. Watch out. That might be you. <laughs> Nobody in this church. All right, so... This idea of poetic performance, like Stacy gave us the illustration, to poetically perform faith, trusting God. It's this picture. So how does it work for you? So, so your homework is to find emotionally imaginative ways to engage the Word of God in your heart. Well, I'm just not a visual person. Well, that's all right. However it works for you, emotionally engage and perform the Word of God in your heart. I've got this particular sin habit. Okay. The Word says that you have been delivered from the power of sin. That His grace in you, you that you died to your former self, that you are now, you're no longer dead in your sin. You are alive to Christ. Christ lives in you. The spirit of the living God strengthens you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has given life to your physical body. But Jesus said, I will put my spirit in you to lead you and guide you into all truth. You got this sin habit. All of these passages that talk about the spirit of God strengthening you and leading you, do, do you see that? So it's as if before you experience outwardly the Stepping into the land that God is clearing for you, you see it inwardly. You get a picture inwardly of what it looks like to be free from sin. Amen. You get a picture inwardly of what it looks like to not worry about money. You get a picture inwardly of what it looks like to be free from whatever that thing is that's causing worry in your life. Can you see it in your heart and your mind first? Can you see it inwardly? Because what you're doing is you're persuading your heart of the truth of God. You're persuading your heart of the potential promise of God because you're not going to make decisions from a mind that's not in agreement with God's word that are consistent with his word. If in your mind you're dealing with life through the filter of worry, fear, confusion, guilt, shame, all of that, that will filter your decisions. So you want to get a picture inwardly, clearly, of the success of that fruit being birthed into your life yes. to the point that you're, you, you see it inside of you. Man, it's like, oh, man, I see it. I can see it. I feel it. It's true to me. This is who, and so what happens is then it becomes your identity. Yes. And then as it becomes your identity, every decision you make is in alignment with it. That's right. And it becomes this guard that keeps you from making decisions to the contrary. This peace, this peace that you have with God, this word springing up in your heart, it will be a guide to you. This, the word of God is a lamp to your feet. But you got to seed your heart with it. I don't care if you listen to it. And don't just listen to it. Don't just read it. Do it, which means poetically perform it first in your heart. Yes, do what the word of God says because it's the right thing to do. But if you do a make a habit of that, 
then you become legalistic, and then you, then we start creating all these fence laws, you know, like the 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 the, the, the temple that existed when Jesus was here uh, was not what God ordained. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, or the Sanhedrin was like the supreme court for the religious temple structure. It was it had become so corrupted, they had perverted the law of God, which was pure and holy. They had perverted the expression of what the temple was supposed to be, you know, and, and it's obvious when Jesus makes the whip and goes in there and clears the house. That wasn't just because they were selling things in the temples. The whole thing had become corrupted. I had a point in that. I forgot what I was going to say. No, but I'm glad you got that out of it. Uh, Oh, the, just the word being used improperly from this legalistic outward performance without engaging inwardly, without, you know, hearing from the heart, without trusting God with your whole heart. You know, don't, don't if the word is stale to you, if you don't like picking it up and reading it, find some way to get it in there. Find some way that, that there's so much media out there. Jump into the Bible Project um, videos and their teaching series. Watch that stuff. It breaks it down. It makes it so practical. And then, then maybe an idea will spring up that's interesting to you, and you go into the Word, and you search it out. And, you, man, you just you assimilate it. You feed on it. You, you have this emotional experience with the Word. Do you know what I'm talking about? It becomes stale to us, unfortunately. And I'm not, again, I'm not interested in how much you know. I don't care how much you know. What I want to know is, do you know how to go to it for life? Do you know how to go to the logic and the wisdom of God as your source of transformation, as your source of wisdom, as your source of rejuvenating a dead experience with God? Man, I tell you, that's a rabbit trail I could chase, but I'm just going to keep going here. Poetically perform the word in your heart until it's believable, until the word is believable. Because when you believe it, because all things are possible for those who believe. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to make the word believable. Poetically perform, perform the word in your heart until you have peace. And poetically perform the word in your heart to access grace. Seed your heart with the word because it's alive. It's active. It's seeking to work in your life because it is God himself. Are you with me? And then last week I had this phrase. I woke up a week and a half ago, um, you know, thinking about the message I was going to preach last week and just this idea came and, and I wrote it down the way, it's like I could see the slide even, it's funny, and where the commas were and everything, I could see it. But, but this idea of when you think it, you see it. And when you see it, you feel it. And when you feel it, you believe it. When you believe it, it becomes possible. And if it's a possibility, it will drive your actions and choices and what you think is possible. You make decisions out of what you think is possible. Are you with me? And with him, 
All things are possible. If you're facing a situation in life, you've got something that you need to deal with. You're praying for it. What does the Word say about it? First and foremost, what does the Word say about it? And do you believe that what it says about it can be effective in your life? And if you do believe that, are you sitting with it long enough until it overrides how you're feeling about the actual situation? Like, can you sit with the word, the promises of God, to the point that inwardly you're like, you see it, man, you're, this, this thing is happening. You see, you see your child free. You see that debt gone. You see that disease gone. You see that job this. You see yourself in that purposeful, meaningful life where you wake up every day and you're thriving. And then you open your eyes and you're confused. Like, oh, wait, now, oh, it's so true in here that you're shocked that it's not yet true out here. But you hold that picture inwardly. And then you go back all the way to what we talked about last week. How does it work? How does it change outwardly? You know, I love the whole quantum stuff because we're understanding now that we're in a different, like, like, like physics is being flipped. You know, the standard model of physics, the Newtonian model of physics, cause and effect is basically no good anymore because of the whole quantum thing. The quantum thing says that we are actually affecting. We're not just being affected, not just being affected by the world. We're not just victims of creation. We humans are actually affecting the, 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 the smallest makeup of how the world works around us. Yes. Human observation changes how particles act. So, so you're not in, it's like, because how does it work? You know, how does it, what is it, how does me having a picture in my heart change the world around me? Well, I don't know. But Jesus said, you put it in your heart, it's like a farmer. He goes to sleep, he wakes up, he doesn't know how it works, but the seed produces after its own kind. Yes, Do you believe the seed will work? And the only thing I know is to get that picture. There's so much instruction about what to do with your thoughts in Scripture. Start there. Get that picture there. And then as the land clears, you step into it. Okay, okay, okay. And then hope starts to come back up. And then as hope, as you get to feed on hope, that desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Do you see that? And too much of the Christian world is heart sick. But there's a solution. And it is the Word of God bearing fruit in your heart. It just is. I mean, it's like the simplest message. Like, I could have stood up here and said, read your Bible, see you next week. Because, I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying. But this foolishness of preaching thing, you know, we want to, yeah, we want to draw it out. Because people will come to me, you know, for different things, different counseling things. How do I this? How do I that? It's like, I got one answer. Let's find out what the Word says, and let's figure out what it takes for you to believe it. Because that's the only thing that we have. Well, but I want to know how to hear God. <laughs> okay, well, let's find out what the Word says. And when you face a situation, the Word will come up, and God will use the Word that's in there. Well, but I can't tell what He's saying. Well, have you read what the Word says about that situation? Because He'll show you how to apply His wisdom in that moment. Us charismatics, we want to totally abandon the Word and be all spirit, and it's like, how are you going to know? 
How are you going to know that you're hearing God? Well, you know, this cardinal landed and it was facing south, and that means I should move that. It's like, okay, okay, okay. I saw the name of this thing, and that means this. And it's like, all right. It doesn't work for me. If that works for you, knock yourself out. But it doesn't work for me. It's not very consistent. Be a poetic performer. So let's just do that. Just stand up for just a minute. Just put your attention on the word or on Jesus. Just acknowledge his presence in this place. Even just picture, you know, however it works for you. If you see angels, if you see Jesus in this room, you know what? In fact, let's do this for just a moment. With your eyes closed, I want you to visualize this room. If you have a hard time, everybody, let's, let's try this. You want to try this real quick? This may not work for you, but it might. Everybody... Open your eyes. Look around the room for just a minute. You see the speakers. You see the TVs. You see Susan sitting over here. Who's going to bless us? Uh, and, and look back at those double doors back there. Everybody look at the double doors. This is just a quick little exercise. All right, now, now close your eyes. And now in your mind, I want you to visualize this room. Maybe you're even still looking at those TVs with your eyes closed. And then all of a sudden, you hear those doors open back there, and you turn around and you look, and you see Jesus walking in those doors. And you notice he looks right at you. He's got a big smile on his face. He walks right up to you. You see that he's about to speak. He opens his mouth and begins to speak, and you just listen. with heaven or around that throne room what does the throne look like and you're thinking about revelation you're thinking about where God is that river that flows out those stones the angels flying around his throne the light coming out of him the circular rainbow around him you're just watching you're just, you're just in awe of who he is thank you Father you just worship thank you Father Thank you, Father, for your goodness, for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you for your peace. And then you start to think about your life. You're thinking about this one area of your life. What do you need? What do you need from God? What area of life do you need God to touch? relationships, your finances, your job, your parents, your children, your friends, or even ministry, just living with a sense of purpose. I just want you to just give that to God. And then ask Him for wisdom. 
Father, I need wisdom in this situation. I need wisdom in this situation. And then maybe a scripture pops up. Maybe an idea of something to study pops up. And if we were to continue this out, you would watch yourself follow that wisdom, go and make that decision, and watch it come to pass in your life. Now, you may or may not connect with an exercise like that. We kind of jumped around and, you know, did Jesus walk in the room? Did he not walk in the room? Well, you know what? If you connected with him, you just let that be an experience in your heart. How, how many of you, you connected with that? You saw him walk in the room? That's a lot of people. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you felt like you heard him or saw him speak to you? You connected with him, yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Those of you that did... Was it relevant to your life right now? Like what he said, did it actually mean something? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Now, I'm not saying go home and just sit around and imagine Jesus walking around in your room. Because I kind of set you up, and there's a way, there's kind of a technique to use these types of exercises. But you can do that with the Word. You can go into the Word and look at what does a life look like where this is working? And now how many of you have hope after him speaking to you? Man, praise God. 